Welcome back, everyone, to the Sports Politica podcast, the show that guides you through the dark underbelly of sports, power, and politics. I'm your host, Karim Zidane, and today I just wanted to start by taking a moment to thank all of you who tuned into the debut episode of the podcast, including those of you early listeners who managed to catch that little snafu with my intro. You know what I'm talking about, before I had a chance to change the audio. Let us speak no more of it. Otherwise, the feedback has really been incredibly positive, which, as some of you know, is more than I can say about some of my writing. So thanks again, everyone. As I'm recording this, it's Tuesday, November 28th, and I want to try and answer a single question on today's show. Why are so many MMA fighters becoming right-wing political activists? It's a question I've grappled with for years now, as I reported on the rise of far-right ideologies and conspiracy theories in combat sports spaces, including mixed martial arts. But it once again came to mind following the riots that took place in Dublin, Ireland this past week. Especially since one of the main agitators of the riots was none other than, you guessed it, UFC star Conor McGregor. So, here's what happened. On Thursday morning, an unidentified assailant attacked a school in a series of stabbings that left three children hospitalized. News quickly spread of the horrific incident, including unconfirmed rumor that the assailant was an Arab immigrant. That evening, hundreds of far-right thugs descended on Dublin in a riot the police later described as the worst violence that the Irish capital has endured in decades. They torched cars in public transit, looted shops, and assaulted several police officers in a very surreal scene for many. All the while, McGregor was fanning the flames of anti-immigrant sentiments in the country. Now what you have to know here is that tensions have been high in Ireland over the past year due to several high-profile murder cases and crimes that were committed by foreign nationals, which in turn spurred more far-right anti-immigrant sentiment and campaigning and propaganda. Among the most prominent cases was a Slovakian man being sentenced for the 2022 murder of a teacher named Ashling Murphy, and a second case was where an Iraqi-born man was sentenced for a murder of two gay men in April 2022. So, here's where McGregor comes into this. He's been vocal about these high-profile cases on Twitter. So, after the sentencing of the Slovak national who murdered Murphy, McGregor took to Twitter and blamed the Irish government for the murder. He said that the Irish government makes him ashamed to be Irish. And he also added in the tweet that, No problem, it is a war then, and God is with us. He later deleted this tweet. He has since, however, continued to spread misinformation on Twitter. A few days ago, he took the Irish government to task for a completely incorrect post claiming that migrants can actually vote in general elections in Ireland. He kept calling it a shame and a disgrace when that was simply not true. Migrants and asylum seekers have been permitted to vote in local elections in Ireland since 2004, but only Irish and British citizens who live in Ireland can vote in general elections. He also endorsed the task force to monitor migrants and seemed to suggest at one point that Ireland should leave the European Union for some reason. But it really got bad the night before last week's violence in Dublin when he posted, Ireland, we are at war. Then, in the wake of the riots, he wrote, We are not backing down. We are only warming up. We are not losing any more of our women and children to sick and twisted people who should not be in Ireland in the first place. Naturally, his comments were extremely popular with the far right in Ireland. 
I'm actually looking at an AI illustration that was posted by a man named Paul Golding, who served as the leader of the far-right Britain First political party, which is of uh, Conor McGregor standing in front of a bus that has been set ablaze and was surrounded by what appears to be far-right thugs holding torches. In that same post, Golding called for McGregor to host a freedom march in Dublin, emphasizing just how much the far right was enjoying his presence, such a significant Irish celebrity backing them and their ideology. But it's also worth noting that not everybody took kindly to McGregor's words. Ireland's uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs and the Minister of Defense called it absolutely disgraceful, saying that isolated voices like that are inciting hate to a degree. And uh, since then, Irish police are now reportedly investigating McGregor's social media posts as part of what they call an inquiry into the dissemination of online hate speech. Now, let's be honest with ourselves here. This is neither the first time that McGregor has been investigated, nor is it the first time that he has shared some really controversial political and far-right opinions. I remember during the 2018 World Cup final in Moscow when he posted a picture of himself arm-in-arm -arm with Russian President Vladimir Putin. I think at the time he referred to Putin as one of the greatest leaders of our time. And I know some of you might say, well, that was before the invasion of Ukraine. But need I remind you that Putin was a warmonger far before that? I mean, he carpet-bombed Chechnya, he carpet-bombed Syria, and he's been involved in a war in Georgia as well. So it's not like any of this was new at the time. And I mean, McGregor followed this up by calling former US President Donald Trump a phenomenal president. He added that he is probably one of the GOAT greatest of all time Americans. And I mean, he has since continued to voice strange political opinions. He criticized Ireland's handling of taxation and the coronavirus pandemic. He even hinted that he was interested in maybe trying his hand at politics. At some point in 2018, I think he told TMZ, I know they're shaking in their boots anyway. But McGregor's anti-immigrant sentiments and his reverence for these despotic political figures really emphasizes and underscores this trend of MMA fighters flirting with far-right politics. Now, there are a number of reasons behind MMA's sort of penchant for extremist right-wing political action. I mean, the sport began as a niche counterculture activity, and it grew in popularity among conservative audiences around the world. And on top of that, the UFC's embrace of Trump all really contribute to this current trend that we're witnessing right now. And the countless links between the sport and authoritarian regimes around the world only serves to emphasize those links as well. Remember all the Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters and UFC fighters who helped elect Brazil's former president, the far-right Jair Bolsonaro, in 2018? What about... Fedor Emelianenko, the legendary Russian heavyweight, campaigning numerous times for Vladimir Putin. And plenty of fighters have since supported Putin's invasion of Ukraine very openly. Ramzan Kadyrov is another great example, somebody I've talked about very frequently. He founded his own MMA club, and several of his fighters are affiliated with the UFC and compete in the UFC. But I think really one of the crucial relationships we need to discuss is the UFC's relationship with Donald Trump, especially in the wake of Trump's ascendancy to the presidency in 2016. So... Trump actually has a very long-standing relationship with the UFC. In fact, his relationship with the UFC and its president, Dana White, dates back to 2001. I mean, at the time, the 
UFC was really this ostracized organization that was just fighting in these really small, beat-up venues in the Deep South. In 1996, John McCain, Senator John McCain at the time, labeled the sport as human cockfighting. And that really was a stigma on the UFC for a very, very long time. And they were really unable to get onto pay-per-view. Several states had enacted laws banning no-holds-bar fighting. And there were very few places, very few legitimate places willing to go to bat for the UFC. Except, of course, for Donald Trump and his Taj Mahal venues in Atlantic City. So in 2001, Trump hosted the UFC for two consecutive events. And those events, the UFC claims, greatly contributed to the organization's ability to regain favor on the world stage and to be taken seriously again. Now, much of that is absolutely hagiography written by the UFC to sort of uh, redefine and create some sort of myth surrounding its relationship with Donald Trump. However, it didn't stop Dana White from repaying the favor all these years later. He started at the 2016 Republican National Convention when he gave this big booming speech praising Trump and endorsing him for president. And he's really never stopped platforming Trump since then. I mean, he continues to push Trump's propaganda from his perch atop the UFC. He produced a documentary on Trump called Combatant in Chief, which was really little more than a work of propaganda that suggested Trump's history with the UFC proves that he is a successful and capable leader. Basically, the argument they were making was that because he had this supposed vision to host the UFC's events and was part of the inception and the reason why the UFC was so successful in the modern age, that that automatically makes him a sharp and capable leader to lead an entire nation such as the United States. And in many ways, the UFC just became the sports arm for Trump's campaign and political ideology. I can't count, honestly, the amount of articles I've written for The Guardian and elsewhere about the UFC's relationship with Donald Trump. I even did one a few months ago, specifically about how Donald Trump had this very, very interesting interview on UFC Unfiltered, this uh, video podcast that the UFC's been putting out for several years, and I expected it to be... Uh, Another example of Trump's standard interviews, very narcissistic, focused on his own political interest and pushing his message. Instead, however, what I found very, very interesting at the time was that he spent the entire interview simply talking about boxing, his love for combat sports, and the various experiences he's had, unique experiences really in some cases, with a lot of these different athletes, from Mike Tyson onwards. And when you look at the comments on the YouTube page and elsewhere, you'll see that a lot of people really engaged with that. They found Donald Trump to be a fascinating person. A lot of the comments had things such as, to paraphrase, oh, what a remarkable man. I don't really care about American politics, but it's cool to know that such a high-ranking figure is just like us, loves the same kind of sports, and is interested in the same types of things. So Trump is now really able to use the UFC and its platform, not just as a campaign tool where the UFC will go out and actually promote Donald Trump, but he's actually using it as a savvy tool to campaign for himself, really, and to reach out to the, the apathetic audience and the conservative-leaning audience of the UFC. He's also really never missed a chance to attend a UFC event uh, when possible. Very recently, actually, he walked out at UFC 295 alongside Tucker Carlson, Kid Rock, Dana White, and his son, Donald Trump Jr. It was quite the collection of characters and really just goes to show you the type of audience that the UFC is pandering to at the moment, especially in the United States.
And I really think that it's the UFC's open flirtation with the right wing and with specifically Trump's MAGA politics that has encouraged all these fighters to actually open up and be more open about their political leanings. And in many cases with UFC fighters, those political leanings happen to be quite far right. Some fighters even went to the extent of making this MAGA persona part of their brand and, and selling power as a UFC athlete. I'm thinking, of course, of former UFC interim welterweight champion Kobe Covington, really one of the most politically charged fighters in the UFC. And he's long embodied Trump's MAGA politics. He even wears the red hat as part of his standard attire. I remember back in 2020, Covington came up against a fellow former UFC champion and Tyrone Woodley, and Tyrone Woodley at the time being very outspoken about the Black Lives Matter movement. So Kobe Covington took it upon himself to, at the UFC press conference, call the Black Lives Matter movement a criminal movement, a terrorist movement that's full of Marxists and communists. And he accused Tyrone Woodley of being a Marxist and a communist for supporting it. He went on to campaign for Trump during the 2020 presidential election, and he also supported Trump's false claims that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. Another fighter who shared that view was the retired UFC fighter Jorge Masvidal, who was also one of the most vocal proponents of Trump's presidency. He campaigned for Trump's re-election in 2020 in a Fighters Against Socialism bus tour with Donald Trump Jr., and he also spoke at plenty of Trump's campaign events, including the night before the election. I can honestly go on and on with these examples. I mean, former UFC champs Henry Cejudo and Tito Ortiz spoke at various Latino for Trump events. You know, UFC president Dana White invited a handful of fighters, including Kamara Usman, Justin Gaethje, etc., to attend a Trump rally in Nevada. And at the time, Trump actually promoted some of their upcoming fights while on the campaign trail. It is really it goes to show you the absurdity of American politics and how it intertwines so effectively at the moment with mixed martial arts. This absurdity sometimes has real-world consequences, however. For example, former MMA fighter Scott Fairlam became the first person to plead guilty to assaulting a police officer during the Jan 6 insurrection. He was one of the first people to storm the Capitol. Take that in, an MMA fighter. And he was captured on video punching a police officer in the helmet, screaming, are you an American? Act like it. Saying he's going to storm the Capitol. He was finally arrested in January 2021, and he was sentenced to 41 months in prison. It's one of the most severe punishments handed down at the time. Now, what's even more interesting is that Fairlam's brother is a Secret Service agent who was previously assigned to Michelle Obama. And of course, he wasn't the only MMA fighter who was present at the insurrection. Former UFC welterweight champion Pat Militich was also pictured alongside members of the Proud Boys just outside the Capitol grounds. And I mean, he was never charged with any crimes following the riot. And I don't think he was even one of the people who stormed the Capitol at the time. But Militich and Fairlam, their respective roles in the insurrection, they're just more examples of this concerning relationship between MMA subculture and far-right ideologies in the United States. It goes beyond their shared support for... Trump's far-right politics, they both adhere to conspiracy theories such as QAnon, and I mean, 
the QAnon was always ridiculous, right? That's it, it, it alleges that the world is run by, you know, Satanist pedophiles eating and drinking babies' blood and that the whole world is run by this this global system. It's it's a modern example of, of the Illuminati combined with blood libel, conspiracy, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. But these are very, very prominent and, and conspiracy theories are one of those things that we've seen lots of UFC fighters uh, throw their support behind. I'll give you an example uh, well outside the a capital insurrection in this case, but one of the f- far right or the right wing tinfoil fighters in the UFC that I can think of is Bryce Mitchell. To me, he's always going to be best known as the fighter who tore his scrotum with a power drill, but that's just me. He once asked Donald Trump to call him if he needed help whooping some politician, right? Like he wanted to be President Trump's enforcer. That lets you know all that you really need to know about this fighter. But I'll take it a step further. During the COVID-19 pandemic, he believed that the coronavirus was a bioweapon. He also thinks that mass shootings in the US are generally false flag events aimed to sort of introduce changes in legislation to prevent assault rifles from being sold to citizens like him. He's also a flat earther. And not just any flat earther. He's a flat earther who appeared on a flat earther documentary alongside yet another combat sports figure, a jiu-jitsu pioneer called Eddie Bravo. Tito Ortiz is another one of those fighters you have to mention, since he's really arguably one of the most conspiracy-driven athletes across all sports, at least based on what I've uh, seen. He sold QAnon shirts on his official website. I mean, take that in. He, you know, he he didn't believe in that that George Floyd was murdered by a police officer. I believe he claimed that George Floyd died of of a heart condition. And he peddled all sorts of anti-vaccine conspiracies at the height of a global pandemic. Now, what's interesting about Tito Ortiz is he actually won a seat in the Huntington Beach, California City Council in 2020. He actually became mayor pro tem of the city. It meant that if the mayor became incapacitated in any way, Tito Ortiz, a former UFC fighter and QAnon guy, would have been required to step in as mayor. Now, Ortiz routinely made headlines during his tenure in office. He became barred from attending a city council meeting for not wearing a mask. He faced scrutiny after allegedly filing an unemployment claim against the city despite the fact that he continued to earn his city council member stipend and expense allowance. He eventually resigned from office in June 2021, claiming character assassination from the media and insisting that he was going to stay politically active. Now, his story really isn't the last attempt we've seen from an MMA fighter trying to get into politics. We've seen, just last year, former UFC lightweight champion BJ Penn launched a campaign to win the Republican nomination for governor of Hawaii, despite absolutely no political literacy or experience. He promised to remove all coronavirus mandates. That was basically the only reason he wanted to run, was because he was mad at the government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. He eventually lost by a significant margin and just chose not to accept defeat. Sounds familiar? Another UFC fighter who was so upset with the coronavirus pandemic that he felt the need to run for political office to express himself was former UFC heavyweight Alistair Overeem. He joined a far-right political party in the Netherlands saying that he was trading the ring for the political arena. Lucky for all of us, he did not win, and his party actually did not win a single seat in Parliament. Now, the fact that so many UFC fighters, both past and current, have these right-wing tendencies and tend to participate in right-wing activism, coupled with the UFC's long-standing relationship with Donald Trump, has actually made the organization quite 
alluring to conservative media in the United States. We've seen UFC President Dana White appear on a wide range of conservative talk shows, including ones on Fox News. When Tucker Carlson was still on Fox News, he had a Dana White interview that was sort of a three-part interview, including an in-person visit to Dana White's office, where Tucker Carlson spent the better part of 20 minutes walking around admiring all the bizarre art, let's call it, that Dana White had in his office, which included sort of an AK-47 made of money that had a cartilage filled with cocaine and other drugs. Tucker Carlson seemed really fascinated by that. There's also been other uh, talk shows that have embraced the UFC, including Sean Hannity on Fox. Candace Owens has been one of the big proponents of the UFC. In fact, she mentioned that Kobe Covington was the reason she became such a big supporter of the UFC. Once she found somebody who resonated with her, and it had to be, of course, a MAGA fighter like Kobe Covington. In fact, Owens had actually previously called for the UFC to replace the NFL as America's national pastime a term that was actually once reserved for sports like baseball and golf. So I think her comments uh, were something along the lines of the UFC is basically growing to such a massive extent, but they actually don't get involved in politics. They're not woke and they don't bend the knee, saying basically that the UFC was the only real sport left in the United States. So it is this sort of confluence of... Uh, culture in the United States and the culture war, the ongoing culture war in the United States, that makes it not so surprising that many people on the American right identify more with the UFC than they do with, say, the NFL. So the NFL has actually been sued for racial discrimination and high-profile lawsuits, yet because it at least pays lip surface to social justice causes in recent years, including, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, it seems that at least some uh, conservative fans tend to believe that the NFL is a woke institution. And while it's debatable whether that's actually impacted the NFL's viewership, it seems to be clear really that the U at least the NFL's policies no longer coincide with Republican ideals. So the American right has really shifted much of its attention to the UFC. And at the end of the day, the UFC is a hyper-masculine, violent sport, and it's popular among young men. And many of those young men are actually either right-wing leaning or apolitical and apathetic towards politics entirely. So as Republicans forge ahead with shaping the GOP's future, whether it be with Trump or without Trump, they, as an entire landscape, seem to be relying on the UFC as an ideological incubator of sorts and a breeding ground for future supporters. So that seems to be the role that the UFC is playing as an entity in the American consciousness overall, whether it be in politics or in society. But while that might explain why the conservative audience and conservative media seem to resonate with the UFC, it doesn't quite explain why UFC fighters themselves are are participating in this trend of growing participation in right-wing activism? That is a slightly more complicated question that I don't necessarily have the best of answers for here, but I'd like to walk you through my theory. At the end of the day, mixed martial arts is this counterculture sport. It's a sport of outsiders, and they either rejected or were rejected by mainstream interests. So this 
becomes a breeding ground for conspiracy theories or conspiracy thinking. And it, it's not surprising overall that mixed martial arts ended up being infected with conspiracies such as QAnon and Flat Earther and stuff, because this idea that we are a niche sport and uh, this chip that fighters carry on their shoulders means sometimes that they're more willing to listen to opposing views and to throw their weight behind opposing views that aren't necessarily the most popular. And for the longest time, MMA didn't really get any mainstream coverage whatsoever. There were no mainstream media organizations covering mixed martial arts for much of its early rise. The only places to really get any information or to connect with like-minded, you know, fight fans was to stop off at online message boards or small websites. And that trend continued despite the sport's growth. So a portion of MMA fans in the landscape continues to operate on platforms known for peddling conspiracies, and this was part of the problem, especially during the QAnon days. And let's face it, there weren't really any consequences for a fighter promoting QAnon or any other really conspiracy theory in the UFC. There were no sponsors in the sports that seemed to care. There was very little pressure from the organizations themselves, like the UFC. So what was really stopping these types of narratives from propagating across the landscape? So unlike the NBA and the NFL and mainstream entities where athletes had a lot on the line, a lot of money to lose, a lot of sponsors to lose, and had to keep their opinions to themselves, even if they shared some of these conspiracy theories, that's really not the case in mixed martial arts. In many ways, it's one of the ways to ingratiate yourself to a select portion of the fan base, and that can really build a reputation for you. And you couple that with the fact that MMA at the end of the day is a hyper-masculine sport, and you realize that there's only a certain type of athlete who's going to participate in that to begin with. Same with, you know, the culture surrounding wrestling. So those, and I mean actual amateur wrestling in this case, really, it, it's it embodies and it emulates a very specific type of athlete and it seems that those athletes tend to share conservative viewpoints. That's not to say that MMA is not at all diverse. I mean, there have been queer champions in the UFC, and I'm thinking, of course, of Amanda Nunes, who is by far the greatest uh, women's fighter of all time. I mean, the, the UFC has also had multiple black champions, Brazilian champions, Dagestani champions from Russia. So the UFC as an institution is actually quite diverse, and its fan base is global, and that is also quite diverse. But it seems that the right-wing proponent of the fan base is a lot more vocal and willing to express its opinions. However, if you look carefully enough, you will find some lefty spaces in the sport. There are even subreddits, actually, that are dedicated to a more progressive and left-leaning perspective on mixed martial arts, rather than the standard RMMA subreddit. So, those of you who do share some sort of left-wing perspective or feel isolated in the sport, there are communities for you as well. Unfortunately, they do seem to be drowned out by the more prominent narratives from the bigger names in the sport. So there you have it really, a long-winded uh, response here to this question. I hope I have encapsulated it in a way that is succinct and that makes sense to you, my listeners. At the end of the day, there are multiple reasons, as I've stated, from the UFC's long-standing relationship to Donald Trump, to the sport's 
beginnings in Genesis as this counterculture activity that continues to attract like-minded counterculture perspectives and athletes who have a chip on their shoulder and don't really want to be seen as part of the majority to the fact that conspiracy theories tend to find a home and are encouraged in these spaces and the fact that the athletes that participate in mixed martial arts face very little repercussion for perpetuating conspiracy theories and right-wing politics. There is also one point that should be stated and it really applies here in the case of Conor McGregor which is that he could be using right-wing narratives sense such as these uh, anti-migrant sentiments to build a populist base that will allow him to propel himself into a right-wing political career because let's face it conor mcgregor is not going to be taken seriously as a standard politician in ireland given his uh, extensive criminal record and the looming accusations of rape and, and and other things that he continues to endure right now so it's unlikely that he's going to be taken seriously as a legitimate force however as a populist politician that's a little different right all he has to do is stoke enough hate and sentiment and get enough of that backing and that could really propel him forward and we've seen some of these athletes actually take that approach and enter far-right politics because of these uh, shared conspiracies or shared narratives or just their ability to manipulate the situation and take advantage of these people that's really what populism is in these scenarios and conor mcgregor could be participating in that especially since he himself has stated that he could be interested in politics. And then there are the fighters who cozy up to dictators such as Ramzan Kadyrov because they either enjoy the fact that they are welcomed by such a controversial figure or the fact that Kadyrov pays them well into the six figures to make these visits and for MMA fighters that's actually very significant. Or in the case of plenty of Chechen fighters because they really don't have much of a choice. There is also the case of Hamza Chemaev, who seems to be really relishing his role as Kadyrov's top puppets. I mean, he has multiple Mercedes-Benzes now. He has multiple houses. He couldn't be living larger. So why wouldn't he support a murderous dictator who's best known at this point for his utter rampage against his population and purging and the entire queer population from Chechnya? At the end of the day, mixed martial arts remains a fascinating and thrilling sport. However, those who participate within it, including the major institutions that run the the sport and the landscape, including the UFC, are leading the entire sport down a very dark path and unfortunately it's not going to get any easier the ufc's top competitor the pfl is partially owned now minority stake by saudi arabia so we now have yet another authoritarian regime that has entered the fray and is going to be participating in mixed martial arts and in the long term that's not going to be great for individual human rights it's not going to be great for mixed martial arts perception as a conservative leaning sport that peddles in conspiracies and far-right narratives my critics have long claimed that i write the things i write about this sport because i don't love it i actually hate the sport and that's kind of why i sort of dump on it but that's really not true the reason i point all these things out is because i actually really enjoy mixed martial arts i've been fascinated with this sport since i was in university it's where i discovered the sport and i've been interested in it ever since and much like everything else i criticize including my own country i do so because i believe that if you actually love something if you really really like something you want it to be better and therefore i will continue to point out these issues within the mixed martial arts landscape and i hope that those of you who are listening understand why i'm so critical of the sport because these are things that we can improve upon. 
And on that note, I'd like to move on to our last segment this evening, and that is the portion of the show where I read out messages of support from the paying subscribers of Sports Politica, without whom none of this would really be possible. So thank you very much for your continued support. It is extremely appreciated. From Jack. Hello, Karim. I followed your work since late last year. I've enjoyed your writing on sports and the far right. It is a pressing political issue here in Melbourne, where neo-Nazis are using gyms to recruit. I look forward to engaging further with your work, and I'm now a, in a position to financially contribute. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Jack. And again, I truly appreciate your contribution. As I mentioned, none of this would really be possible without my paying subscribers. So I value you and thank you. Daniel Kouf says, Been following your work since the far-right conspiracy theorist coverage of MMA fighters and love your Chechen coverage. I'm not even into sports, but I love how you combine politics and sports to create this hybrid beat that you are the king of. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Daniel. I really, really appreciate that. And also, I really hope I pronounced your name correctly. Please feel free to correct me if not. And... And again, this is part of why I do this. I don't necessarily view myself as a sports writer or a political writer, though I have dabbled really in both. What I like is using sports as a lens to view the world and to try and understand the world. I find it to be an underrated and underutilized perspective on the world. So I appreciate that you are not a sports fan, but that you actually enjoy this coverage. And I chose to absolutely read your message this week because you did come to my work through my far-right conspiracy theorist coverage, and that's a lot of what we're talking about today. Thank you so much for your continued support. It's much appreciated. And finally, I'll end on this one from Turner. It's the writing we need. Well, thank you, Turner. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you for following me on this journey. Thank you so much for being a subscriber. And that's our show. Thank you again, listeners, for tuning in for another edition of the Sports Politica podcast. See you next week. <laughs>